Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and it is hot in the summertime in Columbus, Georgia. Don't have to tell you that. I know y'all are out traveling, but no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, whatever you have going on, God is welcoming you home. So we invite you to come and join us as we celebrate our awesome God of love and of grace and joy. Come on in. lesson today will be from the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Listen for the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all his wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from Romans Chapter 8, verses 28 through 31. That is Romans 8, 28 through 31. Listen now for the word of the Lord. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to God's purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family, and those whom he predestined he also called. Those whom he called he also justified. Those whom he justified he also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we are continuing in our series of questions that you have submitted in order for us to explore them. Uh, The last two times we've been together, we talked about God's role in evil and suffering, and we are moving on to something that is important for us as Presbyterians to know, and that's the doctrine of predestination. So I was reading uh, an article this morning from the AP about a beach plane crash in Huntington Beach. A small plane towing a banner, so one of those little advertisement 
planes for retail or restaurants crashed during the 2022 California Surf Lifesaving Association Junior Lifeguard Championship. Did you get all that? I'll say it again. The 2022 California Surf Lifesaving Association Junior Lifeguard Championship. So there were hundreds of lifeguards on the beach training and learning when this plane crashed right there, right by the events that were going on. All the families were there. It was right in the water, and the pilot was fine. So the question is, was that a good Presbyterian in that plane? And he was predestined to be, to crash right where all of those lifeguards were there to help and save him? Predestination is one of those things that people associate with our Presbyterian church and with good reason. John Calvin, the founder and uh, kind of father of what evolved into our Presbyterian faith, was very strong on one area of predestination. And I, often when people say Presbyterians, they often think predestination. But what we need to understand is there's not really one concrete, easy definition of predestination, but we're going to walk through them a little bit. So my last two years in high school, I had grown up mostly in Houston, Texas, from the time I was in third grade till a junior in high school. So my rising junior year, for the last two years of high school, we moved to Walnut Creek, California. That's in Northern California. And it was a wonderful new environment. Houston was pretty... Uh, uh, pretty homogenous as far as people, people in my school, my friends, the people I lived around. California, wide open. Everybody, everywhere, all kinds of wonderful um, differentiations of, of races and, and people and all kinds of great things, including faiths. So I have two friends and I've sat with them at lunch one day and they were Mormons. Lots of Mormons out there. And I sat down and they said, so what are you, you're Christian, what, what denomination are you? So I'm Presbyterian. Presbyterians, all you people believe in is predestination. Ah! And myself being in high school and not yet fully immersed even in my own tradition, I was a little embarrassed that I couldn't say back to them, well, it's not right at all, and you don't know what you're talking about. But the sad thing is they knew more than I did about my own tradition at that point. They didn't go into any depth. But again, it was that articulation from people outside of our denomination that Presbyterians and predestination go together. So what are we talking about? First, the understanding of what Calvin understood, what we call double predestination. That's the biggie. That's the one that some of our earlier reformers uh, from the Reformation understood to be the case. Certainly Calvin was one of those. So very simply, the double part was that you are either predestined, chosen, elect for heaven, or the other part, the second part, the double, is that you would have either, that you could have been then chosen, if not for heaven, then 
for hell. Now, there's a lot of difficult and difficulty in that doctrine, in that theology. So Calvin thought that Christ only came to save what he estimated was about 20% of the population that was truly saved. 80% was chosen not to be saved. So what's the problem with that? Sounds about right. We're on that 20%, aren't we? Maybe. I hope so. So we do not believe this, nor have we for some time, although there still are in our book of confessions some strands and pieces of this in our older creeds and confessions. But what's problematic about this double predestination? And by the way, predestination doesn't mean that God is choosing every act for you every minute. Oh, look what God made in my left hand. Oh, oh, look out, look out. It doesn't mean that God found you the parking space or you got all red lights on the way to work or home or all green lights. Now, God can intervene and make those things happen, but that is not predestination. Predestination largely is a larger understanding of salvation and where we are headed. So again, what's the problem with this double? Some are already there and some aren't. Well, many things, but one of them is that once you are determined, which you are born into, you can't really do anything to change your lot. So if you think you are in the group that has been predestined and chosen and elect to be in the body of Christ and to find to, to be given salvation, I, I don't have to do a thing. I've been chosen. And similarly, if you are in the opposite lot, there's nothing you can do to be redeemed, to change your behavior, to be transformed. You are out and out, so why be good at all? Why try at all? There's nothing that can be done. It minimizes the impact of Christ himself. And we know from scriptures all the way through that God's grace is for the world. God desires all to be saved, to receive this grace through Christ. And this double predestination is not a helpful way to think of how God is working in the world. So we have kind of disowned that for some time. Now, the passages that we read today speak of predestination. The ones I just read in Romans. For we know that all things work together for good. For for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Predestined to be conformed. So something's happening ahead of our lives that we may have been chosen for. But we'll get back to that. So we have double predestination, which I just said again. Another way to think about it is universalism. Universalism, who gets chosen? Everybody. Doesn't matter if you're good, doesn't matter if you're bad. 
Does it matter if you make a decision to follow Christ? Does it mean you follow Christ or not? Anybody, because they were created on this world, on this world, this earth, they are accepted and they will be brought into God's kingdom. I would like to think that, just so everybody will be okay. But what does that knock out? What does that separate? Any kind of judgment, any kind of accountability on our part that we know is important to our own development. Wouldn't every child of a parent say, I don't want my parents ever to discipline me ever. I don't want there to be any rules ever. And I want to live my life that way. That'd be great. That's the same thing when we say there is no condemnation, there is no judgment. Those are bigger, more impactful words. But to say that God is not going to teach us how to be better through our own mistakes is the same as saying a parent has no rules or regulations for that child because they don't want that child to be disciplined in any way. What happens to that child? That child grows up spoiled, entitled, um, more so than even all of us do. We know as parents we have to have some structure, some guidelines. There have to be consequences. There are some natural consequences to poor actions and, and poor decisions. But it's the same thing with God. We have to sometimes face the consequences of our own sinful nature, of our own sinful acts, of the way that we have separated ourselves from others. And if everybody is saved in universalism, if everyone is predestined, chosen, elect, then is that really a choice? I could not crack a Bible in my lifetime. I could do evil things and never think about anything to do with God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. And I'm going the same way as someone who's been a faithful church member all their lives. It takes that free will piece out of it. Even if we think it's what we want, not all people want that. There are a lot of atheists and, excuse me, those of other faiths who would say that's not what they want. It's not what they choose. So you have double predestination, you have universalism, and then what we call Pelagianism. That was a, a British monk back in the day who generally settled on the issue of we agree to follow Christ or we agree to turn away from Christ. And I think that's mostly where we might land. It's up to us because that gives us choice. It gives us free will. And it's, on, it's not God's love is there for everybody, but you have to choose it at some point. And again, I think that's more where we sit and where we rest, but there are problems with that one too. Let's say we choose God at some point. We have a conversion. We make a conversion. You come through confirmation. Maybe you have a moment with God that you consider 
that conversion moment where you made a decision to let Christ, Jesus, Holy Spirit, into your heart? How do you know that you're really practicing and living as a Christian? Isn't there enough insecurity about our own faith that sometimes we ask if we're really living as Christians at all? Well, what if, what if we're not? In fact, then, have we chosen the world earthly life as opposed to God's kingdom now? How, how do we know that we're in, so to speak, or chosen not to be? And that's something we always need to ask ourselves. This Pelagian, this last piece, also since there's no proper or right way, we need to think about what then, if none of these three are exactly what we want, then how do we wrap our head around predestination? And I will simply say it this way, my take on it. I think we who are Christian have been chosen selected to be Christian, predestined to be Christian. Does that mean that God has chosen against the rest of the world for those who are not? Absolutely not. I'm convinced that God's desire is for everyone to be saved, and Christ died so that everyone would be saved. Christ came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if we have been chosen or selected to be Christians and God still loves those other people out there, even though they're not Christians, what then are we supposed to do about that? I think, first of all, we know that if we're chosen... How many people have ever been chosen on a team? Yeah, we've all been on teams. Or chosen to be in a group. Maybe you serve on a board and you were chosen to do so. Maybe you were chosen to be in a group of friends. Maybe you were chosen as an employee in your business. We all know that being chosen doesn't take away our responsibility for actions. Being predestined doesn't mean God has planned everything out and you have no free will. Quite the opposite. It's great to watch T-ball. Go back to your T-ball days. Anybody that's seen that? It's great because they don't quite get it. They're not fully immersed in the competition of it. And what's the best thing to do? To watch not only them trying to hit their little T-ball, but the little guys in, in the outfield. They have no idea what's going on. They're picking daisies, they're chasing butterflies and sitting down out there and throwing their men around. They were chosen to be on that team, but are they contributing and focused on the purpose of why they're there? Well, they are not. And that's fun and funny because they're children and sweet. When we get older and we have been chosen to be Christians, very much the same call is placed and we too can be distracted only not by butterflies and flowers, but by other things in our life that keep us 
from focusing on our Christian call as much as we should. We who have been called to be Christians have no air of superiority about that. If we do, we have already mocked the call. We are called to be servants just as Christ was, suffering servant in Isaiah. And Jesus' life clearly showed us that he came to serve those in need. Our call as those who have been chosen to be Christians is to go out into the world so that those who weren't will know why. We are to share the word and good news of Christ. In our actions, in our thoughts, in our words, we may very well get to heaven and stand with Christ toe-to-toe and said, I brought you in, I gave you everything you needed. Who did you tell about me? What did you do to help others understand the good news and the gift of love in Christ and resurrection glory? Did, did you do that? Who did you help? George and John know what that's like to go to a strange and foreign place to teach about the resurrected Christ. People see them and know they are of a faith that is different than their context. And they come and they ask them questions. And the way that they interact with them teaches about what they believe as Christians. Here it's harder in in a sense that most or a large part of our community are Christian. But as George told us this morning, he said they don't use the word Christian, they use follower of Jesus. Because Christian carries so much baggage because they see movies from the United States or movies about Christians with Christians doing terrible, unexplicable things to say you believe and follow this, but then you do these things. Not that different from Gandhi who'd say, I'd be a Christian if it wasn't for all the Christians. Because he knew the teachings of Christ were sound and solid, and Gandhi loved that part of it. But watching those respond and those who claim to be Christ live their lives was very different from that reality. And certainly we can't be Jesus. We can't be sinless. And yet... With this calling, with this chosenness, as I believe this predestination means, it is to serve God and serve others so that they will know. It's a part of our joy, but also a task. It comes together. It comes as a community and not as just as an individual. Yes, you have individual relationship with Christ, absolutely. But God called a nation in Israel, not just those individuals. Paul talked about the body of Christ and went to visit communities. And our American rugged individualism works against us in this case. 
Because if we think we say, I, I believe, I'm good, we leave it there, we're missing. We're missing out. We need to be a part of a faith community, the larger body of Christ, to complete our task, to understand that we have been chosen, selected. And just like people in any group, some produce more than others, some just don't want to be there, some refuse to work, even though they've been chosen to be a part of it, we can do that in our Christian journey as well. So the chosenness is a chosen to do a task. It's not because we are any better, because we are not. We are on the same level of sinfulness as all on this God-created planet. And there's much more to this conversation, but what I want you to take, again, is just this. This predestination is not what it once was when it started back in the day. We believe that Christ came, our lives can be redeemed, we can be transformed, we can change from what we don't want to be into something better and who we think God wants us to be. It's not universalism because there is judgment and I do believe that we come to Christ of our own free will and that's the way God designed it. And so some will not choose to take the gifts that have been given. But with this chosenness, again, we are servants. We are not to lord it above anybody. Ultimately, God decides that bigger question of who's in and who's out. We do not. God is capable of making those decisions. Our job is to realize our chosenness and take what we've been given into the world that others may know. All those other people out there need your witness, need your life, need your love based in Christ, need to have their feet washed just as Christ did with the disciples. That is our calling and that's what we have been predestined to do. So with courage and faith and full understanding of the joy of being chosen and the call of the task placed before us, let us go into the world that others too may know the love and resurrected glory of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen.